Okay. So today, Pastor Jackie's going to be unpacking the beginning of Matthew chapter 4 with us. And so if you guys want to open to the book of Matthew, we'll be in chapter 4. I'm going to read the first 11 verses this morning. So here we go. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, that after your baptism, he went out to the desert and were tempted, and you used the word of God to dispel what the devil was trying to accomplish. And so, Father, today, as Pastor Jackie opens the word and shares with us, may he speak your words. May you be glorified in this place, and may your Holy Spirit draw us closer to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have to do a building program. If we keep having uh, coffee, I'm going to need a bathroom back in my office. <laughs> Things you guys didn't want to know, huh? <clears throat> All right, if you will open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 4. We have an incredible opportunity before us this morning to, to get some insight into um, just the, the relationship between Jesus Christ and his Father. And it's one of the things that we get to, that we get, I think that we can see in the, in the temptation, the mountain of the temptation. So I wanted you guys to have an opportunity as we take a look at the text to get a chance to see what it all looks like. So there's a slide, I think, in there of the, sometimes when we think about Jesus going to the wilderness, it says in verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so he goes, maybe we don't have it. So he goes, there it is. That's what the Judean wilderness, do you guys notice what's not in the Judean wilderness? Yeah, no trees. So look, sometimes when we think about Israel, we, we bring with our ideas about Israel and what happens in Israel and what's going on, we bring our experience. You and I, when we build a house, we build a house out of wood because we have wood. Do you see any wood? Do you know what they build their houses out of? Stone. That's right. They build their homes from stone. So you'll go into old Jerusalem and you'll see stone everywhere because there's no shortage. And I had one picture that's not back there, so don't look for it. But I had one picture that showed the Judean wilderness 
and it was just stones everywhere. And when you think about that, you, this is the picture you need to have in your mind when you, when you read verse 1 of chapter 4. So Jesus was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is where he went. So where he was baptized, you remember I told you last time, Kasar al-Yahud, the way of the Jews, the place where the nation of Israel crossed into the promised land the first time, that's where John the Baptist went baptizing. So you go down there, that's right here. The Jordan River is going to flow a little ways outside of those mountains, and literally you drive a mile, and it looks like that. So you go out into these, uh, this rocky, barren hillside. I have a painting. Uh, it used to be in my office at my house now. Of It's called, um, uh, I think it's called just The Temptation. And it's a picture of Jesus sitting on a hillside like that. And uh, his head down between his knees, you know, like he's just w w praying in the middle of that wilderness. Now, the scripture tells us Jesus led by the Spirit. So what do we need to understand as we look at this story? Number one, the Spirit was with him, right? Do you know that sometimes the Spirit will lead you into the wilderness? Sometimes he will. And when the Lord takes us there, when we look at the temptation of Christ, we ought not to look at it as a temptation to sin. We ought to look at it as a proving. For example, when, we, when a test pilot takes a plane up, he doesn't take the plane up to crash it. Right? That would be what sinning would be, to crash. He doesn't take it out to crash and burn. What does he do? He takes that plane out to prove what it's capable of doing. Now, it doesn't mean crashes don't happen. But the purpose is a proving and the same is true for us. Anybody ever been led out to the wilderness? To the valley of the shadow of death? To all the things that the Bible says, hey, you're going to have to walk through these things. One, you need to know that the Holy Spirit is with you. And it, God doesn't take you there to destroy you. He takes you there to prove you. It's not about your destruction or your failure and sometimes that's all we think when we get down. Lord, why are you letting it be like this? Why is there so much pressure? Why, why, is it, why am I struggling? Why am I hot and thirsty? You know what that place, that picture you saw, there's not a lot of shade. You notice that? And I know right now, on a nine-degree day, you're thinking, that sounds pretty good. And I won't lie. Having a... a a blow dryer blowing in your face on a motorcycle is way better than nine degrees. But eventually that heat is hot and there's no escape. Because the Bible talks about something called the refiner's fire. And the purpose of the refiner's fire is to what? Purify the gold. Yes? Not to destroy the gold. Not to destroy the silver. The things we go through in life, the hard times, the difficulties we face, what we learn from watching Jesus go through it is it's not to destroy us. It's to prove us. We want to learn the lesson that the Lord has for us. In fact, in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus, being full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit to the wilderness. This is God's purpose. There's a lot of families. I, we were just talking today. I think uh, Phil was sharing that, that on the CDC's website, uh, in the past year, there's pe more people have died from suicide than COVID. So you need to know, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, there are a lot of people despairing right now. Now, throw into the midst of the despair the looming reality of World War III. That's pretty crazy, no? I mean, I, I know we'd like to turn off the news and pretend it's not going on, but it's going on, right? And I want you to understand, I know a lot of, a lot of preachers will take what's set up on a tee and run with it. So I'm not a lot of preachers. But when we look at the circumstances in the world today, this, this is not prophecy unfolding before your eyes. 
This is man doing what man does. When Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars, and I know a lot of people want to point to Gog, Magog, and look, Russia's north of the Black Sea. Israel's to the south of the Black Sea. This is not happening in Israel's backyard, and nobody's even threatening Israel. This is the, the Russia taking back what was USSR. You guys remember, some of you old enough to remember USSR? Remind you of a song? Back in the USSR. Yeah, I know. Some of you guys know. Others are going, what? Sorry. <clears throat> Has nothing to do with what I'm saying. This is Russia taking that stuff back. And is it possible that they keep trying to keep go? For sure it is. And when we set up our sanctions and, and their banks maybe get cut off, is it possible they reach out to China? Uh-huh. And if they reach out to China, does China want something back too? Taiwan, you guys heard of Taiwan, haven't you? So there's a lot of pieces on the table moving. A lot of reason to despair. A lot of people this last year have been despairing. But our God is a God of hope, not of despair. And while we may be concerned and we may even mourn, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. For our hope is Jesus Christ. Our joy is in the Lord, not in the circumstances around the world. Now, I'm not saying ignore it. I'm saying be ready. Did Jesus tell us to be ready? Did Jesus tell his disciples in his day to be ready? So do you think you should be ready? Because it's a lot later than it was for his disciples. Yes? Does God want us to be in a state of always being ready to see his face? So that is to be our motivation, our hope. Lift our eyes up. When you find yourselves in trouble, what does the Bible tell us to do? Lift your eyes up. Know where your help comes from. For my help comes from the Lord. This is what the scripture declares. And this is what we need to encourage one another in. Don't get despairing. Do yourself a favor. Watch a little news if you got to do it. Then turn that thing off. Pick up your Bible. And realize that your hope is in Christ. It doesn't mean that there won't be hard times and shelves won't get empty one day. They may. But it, are worrying about it make any difference? No. So rather than worry, we should press into the Lord. Yes? Because he gave us a job. What's the job the Lord gave us? Sit around and worry about what's going on in the world. So we should pray for those in Ukraine. We should pray for the suffering that's going to come. We should pray for the times of famine. And we should pray about the times of pestilence. We should do all of those things. But our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in him. You lift your eyes up and you look for him. Right? And you live every day lifting your eyes up and looking to him. Do not despair. In 25 years of ministry, I've been in the ministry 25 years. I have done more funerals for suicides in the last year than 24 previous years. And it's not just hitting the world it's hitting the church so let's watch out for one another amen let's encourage one another because sometimes the spirit's going to lead you to the wilderness and you're going to get out there and you're going to you the temptation for us is to despair or hope so we need to we need to be men and women who are willing to walk in hope right what if what if the news you get is bad we still got a hope. You'll hear all about it next week when Isaac shares. You can despair about the circumstances of your life, and you can despair about where you ended up, but does that do any good? So we hope in Christ. Now here's what I want you to understand about this. Jesus is led out into the wilderness, and Jesus, being the word of God and knowing the word of God, he knew Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3 says this. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. So when you think about the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness, you see the picture. 
That's where they wandered. A cloud covered them with shade by day, and a pillar of fire gave them light and warmth by night. God's presence was with them even in the God-forsaken wilderness. God was there with them. So remember the Lord your God in the times of the wilderness. Listen, why did he take them to the wilderness? It says that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. Does God know your heart? So he doesn't need to know your heart. Who needs to know your heart? I need to know it. And then those things that come up out of my heart, my own despair, my own fear, my own struggles, when those things rise up, what am I challenged to do with those? Then go lay them down at the foot of the cross. Go give them to Jesus. He says, cast your cares, your burdens on me, for I care for you. But most of the time when we walk around and I say, how you doing? You say, fine. Right? We all lie to each other every day. Right? And look, I'm not telling you to tell somebody your life story. It's polite just to say fine, you know. But what I encourage you to do is sometimes we, we have to recognize, you know, we're not all fine. We're having hard times. We're struggling. I know I see your phone calls. I hear the news. I know the things that are going on. We need to pray for one another and encourage one another. But you're in your season in the wilderness so that God can show you what's in your heart. It's not a condemning thing. We take that thing that God's showing me in my heart and I go, you know what, Lord, I, I didn't realize that was there. And I confess it and give it away. That's not mine. We want those things out. Testing you that you would know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments, whether or not you will follow him. And he humbled you and let you hunger. Well, did you hear that? He humbled you and let you hunger. Anybody ever had to be hungry before? So he humbled you and, and he let this happen. He let that illness into your life. He let that disease touch your family. He let that accident in. He let those things happen so that he could be your food. John chapter 4, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you know what, guys, we got to go to Samaria. And when they get there to Jacob's well, the disciples are thinking about food. Lord, we ain't got no food. So Jesus says, you should probably go get some then. So they leave. About that time, who comes to Jacob's well? A woman comes to the well. You guys know the story, right? Jesus went to Samaria just for that woman. He ministers to her. She leaves, bringing the word to Samaria. Come see the one who told me everything I ever done. And she's actually rejoicing about that. Because you know what you and I really want is is someone who knows us. We spend our whole life hiding behind the mask we want everyone to see. But you don't want that. We, that's why so many people struggle with, do you really love me or do you really like me or, or anything in life because I've never really showed you the real me. And occasionally you show the real me and the bad things happen and you go, whoops, I should not do that again. But God knows the real you and loves you anyway. So she goes away, having heard everything she ever done. You, you, you're, you've been with four men or five men, and the guy you're with now is not your husband, right? You guys know the story? Then the disciples come back. Lord, we brought you food. You remember what Jesus said? I don't need no food. So they look at each other. Somebody feed him? You remember what Jesus said? My food is to do the will of the Father. My food, the only thing I need that sustains me in life is doing the will of the Father. Being obedient to God's word. But you know when you're alone in a deserted place, the devil will come to you and lie to you. But he'll use enough of the truth so you can't tell. Right? Right? 
Uh, he'll use enough of who you really are, right? And then he'll use it to beat you over the head with a stick. God never does that. God wants you to start with who you really are and then come to know who you are in Christ. It's so much more than that. Why is Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness? He's led there to face where Adam failed. The Bible tells us that there are two Adams. One that brings the fall. One that brings the victory. How did Adam fall? He was in a garden. A serpent. Shining one. I think it was an angel, not really a snake. But hey, we can talk about that later. And Eve has this conversation. Adam's there the whole time. He didn't do anything. He failed the test. And the fall of man occurs. Jesus goes into the wilderness. But he is not going to fail. He is going to succeed. He will bring victory. And he will face the same test that the first Adam faced. Right at the beginning, the outset of his ministry. Because Jesus has come to redeem man. The first Adam fell and brought death to mankind. The second Adam gains a victory and he brings life. Right? So we look. They come there. Come into this place. Now, what do we need to remember about this? We need to remember that, that we are going to walk into places like this. Places of, of uh, temptation, of testing, of trial. And when we enter into those things, we need to not despair, but hope in Christ. Because he's our key to victory. So we lay hold of the victory he won for us so that we can overcome. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 reminds us first. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So is anybody capable of falling? Yeah, so don't be filled with pride like you're something. Don't do that. Take heed. And then what does verse 13 tell us? No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. So listen, does all man get sick? He does. Does all man have to face cancer or, or horrible accidents or terrible tragedies? Yes, he does. Is it indicative of God's love for you? No. It's common. It's part of life. No temptation has overtaken you. What's the next phrase? But God is faithful. He's faithful in the accident. He's faithful in the tragedy. He's faithful in the illness. Do we know that? We have people here, brothers and sisters, who have overcome disease, overcome illness, and can testify to the fact that God was with them all the way through. Amen? God is faithful in it. Sometimes will God heal? Yes. Always? No. No. Sometimes that's not the road God has. Is that indicative of le less faith than someone else? Look, when somebody teaches that's a vile, uh, unfaithful teaching in the word. That God doesn't want anybody to be sick. That's not in the Bible. It's not there. Watch, be watchful for that deception. Is God our healer? Yes. Does God heal today? Absolutely. Can God carry us through? For sure. Sometimes he carries us home. Sometimes he carries us through. But either way, God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful all the way through. But listen, he will not let you be tempted, tested, proven beyond your ability. Whatever you're facing, listen, whatever you're facing with God, you can overcome. I don't care what it is. I don't care how bad it is. People, I've, I've heard testimonies from people of, of such horrible tragedies in their life. I have to go home and just sit in my room and cry. Because I'm like, I can't believe somebody had to endure that. Somebody had to live through that. But God says, you're not tested beyond. You're not tested beyond your ability. 
But with the test, he makes a way. So we have to be willing to find the way. We get in there, and I know people say things all the time, like, well, God won't, won't test you beyond your ability. Well, yeah, God won't test you beyond your ability in Christ. How's that? My ability wants to quit all the time. Anybody ever want to quit? Okay. Is it too soon to quit? How many times? It's always too soon to quit. Always. So if you feel like you want to quit, just know that's not God. Who's that? Who comes to you in your wilderness and tells you it's time to quit. But that's not God. God doesn't ever say, where did you show me where Jesus quit? You have a hard time finding it, won't you? It's always too soon to quit. With every trial, temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you can be able to endure it. So I know a lot of times we focus, and I will always, listen, I will always pray that God will heal, that God will deliver. And hallelujah, praise the Lord, we've seen God heal that. A number of people have been healed here at Calvary Chapel Buell when we laid hands on them and prayed for them. Hallelujah when it happens. But I will also pray that God gives you the strength to find your mountain pass. Because sometimes God wants you to walk through it. Right? Maybe it gets overused, but three times Paul prayed, Lord, take this thorn out of my flesh. Lord, take this, take this thing away from me. You guys have prayed for that before, right? God, take this struggle away. Lord, take this disease away. Lord, take this person away. Whatever. Lord, take this thing out of my life. Three times Paul prayed. Three times God said, no, no, no. But you know what he didn't say? Paul, you don't have enough faith. He did not say that. What did he say? He said, no, Paul, my strength, God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. Anybody ever felt weak? When you are weak, God says, I am strong. What does he want us to learn? This is key. He wants us to learn dependence, not independence. This is a hard lesson for Americans. We celebrate our independence. We solve all our problems by ourselves. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. There's, we give more effort, we can find a way. We can figure it out, right? So sometimes God takes us to places where you don't got no boots anymore because your feet are gone. What are you going to do? God wants your dependence. And in your dependence upon God, you will find the victory we see here. Not independence. I can do it without you, Lord. Total dependence. Independence was the fall. We don't need you, Lord. We're going to eat this fruit and we'll know everything we need to know. But Jesus comes to show us, no, the key isn't independence. It's total dependence. I want you to see it. Verse 2, look what it says. After, look, we're verse 2 already. Look, Sunday school is teaching alongside me, so I have to finish all 11. So if we're here a couple hours, it'll be okay. So <clears throat> verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Most of us get fasting wrong. We think by fasting we're going to change God's heart or direction or plan or purpose. Or if I fast, if I go without eating, then God, it's like we think of fasting like a hunger strike. That's not right. Fasting is not a hunger strike. Lord, I'm not going to eat until this happens. That's not what Jesus is doing. Look, here's something that you need to understand. You guys ever had a test in school that you were totally stressed out for? I went to college once. I actually went to college like three times. But the first time they give me forgiveness for. So I went to college right out of high school. And I discovered nobody cared what I did. The teacher got paid whether I showed up or not. And he could care less if I flunked his class. 
That was a little bit of a shock because in high school your teachers coddle you. Oh, no, Junkie, what are you talking about? My teacher's so mean. No, your teacher coddles you. Hannah, your teacher coddles you. <laughs> in college, they're like, I don't care. So I stopped going to history. I liked English. I'm weird, I know. I like writing. I like stories. So I, was, I excelled in, in English. But history, I didn't, I could care less. I don't like the long, boring lectures. And so finally I thought to myself, I haven't been to history in a long time. I should probably go. So I went. It was midterm. I hadn't been in a class. He handed me a test. I looked at the test and I looked at him and I says, I guess I'm leaving. And he's like, well, I don't care. Go. Do you know what I got in that class? Big fat F. Because I didn't drop the class. No, no, no. I just flunked it. Along with every other class I had that semester. So I had my, on my college transcript, still today, a perfect 0, 0.0 at the beginning. <laughs> like, I would talk to schools and they'd say, well, send us your transcript. And I sent it to them and they're like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so... The stress of the test depends on your preparation. You're more stressed for a test you're not prepared for than for a test you're ready for. When we look at Jesus in verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love what John Piper talks about. He wrote a book called Hunger for God, which is a great book if you're considering, uh, um, you know, kind of delving into the idea of fasting and how to fast. And, and the book of Amos, you know, the Lord says in the book of Amos that we, f we fast for the wrong things. We try to do things like a hunger strike. And God's like, I don't want you to, to do that. Rather, why don't you do justice and mercy and why don't you help the oppressed? And there's this attitude that God wants. Well, the attitude that God wants comes when we pursue God. A fast is when you pursue God so intently that you don't eat. It's not when you don't eat to get God to care about something you're trying to get God to care about. You understand the difference? When you pursue God so intently that your pursuit, you just, I, I didn't eat. When Jesus is ministering to the woman at the well, at Jacob's well, right? He's, he's not thinking about food. He's thinking about, man, I, I, this is awesome. And when he's in the wilderness, I don't think Jesus is just walking around going, what do I do today? I guess I just walk around. It says he fasted 40 days. That means he wandered around the wilderness for 40 days. What do you think he was doing? You think he was communing with the Father? You think he was in prayer? You would think he was seeking God's will? Oh my gosh. He was not fasting to prove something. Fasting was a result of his preparation for the test. He's ready when the test comes. He's ready because he is in communion with the Father for 40 days so intently that he don't care about food. Because my food is to do the will of my Father. That's what Jesus declared. So he has this time focused on God's communion. Communion with the Father for 40 days. And the tempter came to him. Now we're going to look at the three. First we're going to look at the three confrontations. And we'll look at the three answers, okay? So don't think I skip a verse. We're going to come back to it. Look at the confrontation. The first challenge to Messiah. Dependence or independence. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become loaves of bread. Now, the Bible says Jesus was hungry. So if you ever went 40 days without food, you would understand you would be hungry. Right? I once did a 21-day fast where I didn't eat. And it was, I was hungry. After 21 days, 
I was hungry. It was the most incredible fast I've ever done, and it's the only time it was ever like that. We repeated 21-day fast for a long time, year after year after year, and I could never hit what I hit the first time. I don't know why. It's, it's me. It's not you. But I, I, it was, it, the first time was special. Really special time with the Lord. Jesus is hungry. He wants food, and listen to what the devil wants him to do. Depend on yourself and not on the Lord. Do you hear it? You're hungry. You're the son of God. What are you doing hungry? If, you're, if God loved you, he wouldn't let you be hungry. You remember what it said in Deuteronomy 8? And the Lord said to them, I brought the hunger so you would know me, my, my ability to care for you. Remember, God brought them manna. God provided. Has the Lord ever brought you to a place where you had to trust on his provision? I know sometimes we get into those times and we're despairing and we're kicking and scratching and yelling and screaming, Lord, why, Lord, why, Lord, why, Lord, why? Just stop. Just stop. And allow God to be your provider. Trust him. Just him. Dependence on the Lord. Here is the Satan. Satan is saying, forget the purpose of this. And satisfy your own desires. you got to take care of yourself first. Anybody ever heard that? You know what? You can't really love anyone else until you love yourself first. Does it say that anywhere in the Bible? Listen. You already love yourself. The problem is you probably love yourself too much. That's probably the problem. The whole world will tell you, you can't, you're no good until you love yourself and you hate yourself. If you did, you would not feed yourself. You wouldn't put clothes on to keep yourself warm. You would not take care of yourself in any way. Now, you may be in a place where you're feeling despair and, and um, you've, you're, you've lost connection with people. That's not the same thing as not loving yourself. It's not about loving yourself. If you want to be able to love people, if you want to be able to love your wife, if you want to be able to love your neighbor, if you want to be able to love the people God wants you to love, then you focus on loving God. And you will be able to love your neighbor. The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart Soul, mind, strength. That's a lot, right? Don't worry about loving yourself. Love God, and all the other things will come together. Be dependent on Him for love, not yourself for love. Don't let the, the devil tempt you to try to figure it out yourself. Learn to be dependent. Jesus is hungry. The devil says, man, I can't believe God would let you be hungry down here. You should take care of it yourself. Because he could, unlike you and I, right? If you and I are hungry in the desert and this devil comes and says, turn these stones to bread, what good's that? I can't. Could Jesus? For sure. Yeah. But he's not going to. Psalm 78, 17 says, yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? He struck the, walk, the rock, and water gushed out, and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord, the Lord heard this, he was full of wrath, and a fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel. Why? Because they did not believe in God nor trust his saving power. Sometimes God lets you be hungry. Sometimes God lets you be sick. Sometimes God lets you struggle. And he wants you to depend on him. He wants you to trust in him. The second confrontation 
Verses 5 and 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Forsake the dependency on the Father's will and the way of the cross. Go to the pinnacle of the temple and hover in front of the multitude as they're there to worship. And they will all acknowledge you as Messiah. Don't do it the Father's way. Give the people a show. It's not a temptation for you and me. If we step off of the pinnacle of the temple, we bounce off the ground. Does Jesus have to bounce off the ground? No. You remember that little thing called the ascension? Did he fall down? No, he fell which way? Up. That's a little different. Forsake your dependence on the Father's plan. Forsake the, your dependence on God's way. Do it your own way. Well, here, literally, Satan's saying, do it my way. Because God's not going to let anything bad happen to you. You're the son of God. Okay, just stop with that phrase. Because the Father's plan for Christ is the cross. So the idea, just get, mold this in your brain for a minute. The idea that the Father won't allow anything bad to happen to you is bunk. What do you call the cross? What do you call the scourging? What do you call the crucifixion? Are there times where God will allow horrific things into our life? Did he allow horrific things into the life of his beloved son? Yes. And when Jesus called us, what did he say? Come, follow me. Where was he going? see the lie of the devil God will never let anything bad happen to you don't 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 you know just just do the miraculous do the thing that's going to make everybody want to come let's get the walls shaken let's get all this let's manufacture an event so that all the world can look at look at this guy he's floating off the pinnacle of the temple that's the highest point of the temple looking overlooking the courts of the temple Deny the dependence on the Lord. He's quoting Psalm 91. Psalm 91 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up. Does, will God care for you? Yes. Is God's will for you sometimes for hurtful things to happen? Yes. Also yes. Also yes. Will the angels be with you? Also yes. Will God be with you? Also, yes. Will he strengthen you through it? Absolutely. Will he hold you when you're weeping on the ground and you can't take anymore? You say, Lord, I can't take this anymore. I quit. I quit. I quit. Is God holding you? Absolutely holding you. He's whispering in your ear, don't quit. I have you. I'm with you. I know it's hard. I love you. I'll get you through. Just don't quit. It's always too soon to quit. The third confrontation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to them, all of these I will give to you. Just fall down and worship me. Again, another opportunity. Follow my way, Satan says. Not, don't follow the Father's way. Now, I don't know that Satan really knows what's happening. Satan's not omniscient he's not all-knowing he's not he don't know the way of the cross i think at the cross he thinks he's win he's winning satan doesn't know everything but he knows jesus came not in a palace but in a manger humble god what are you doing here you look you you should be you should be doing this like satan would do it satan would come with a big flash He'd have a big sign with his face posted all over it. He'd do all kind of miracles so that you could all come to him. That's not God's way. 
God knows that miracles did never help people. I know, you and I say this all the time, Lord, if you would just do this incredible healing, then everyone would believe. Lord, if you just make the Red Sea part, everyone will believe. They'll never doubt again. You guys just read all the way. You're in Leviticus. You know the story. How long did it last? God did this incredible miracle. The Red Sea moved. People walked across on dry land. And then the Red Sea closed up on their enemies and ate them all up. And all the children of Israel believed the rest of their life. It only lasted until they got hungry. It only lasted until they got thirsty. Miracles do not produce faith. If miracles produce faith, you'd see them everywhere. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes from God's word, which we are diligently reading every day, right? So that our faith will grow. So that we'll be prepared for the test. So Satan again says, compromise. Do this my way. Just bow down and worship me. I want to see what Jesus' face looked like when Satan told him that. No, you knucklehead. Bow down and worship you. Every time we're in the wilderness, the devil will come to deceive us. He will come to deceive us with the flash. He'll come to deceive us with the show. He'll come to deceive us in all these ways that look good that sound right, that make us think, you know what, we sh it should be like this. You know what, it should be like that. You think he don't sow his seeds of deceit in our ears? Probably not him. I doubt he's worried about Buell. But he's got little minions running around, right? What did Jesus answer? He's... His answers, we're going to look at 4, 7, and 10. In Matthew 4, 4, to the first confrontation about don't be dependent on God, take care of the problem yourself. He answered and said, it is written, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You remember Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3? God let them be hungry. In verse 3, it says, He humbled you and let you hunger. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know. What's it say? That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus answered with reliance on God, not independence, dependence. He answered with reliance on God. He didn't say, here's what I think, or this is my opinion. He said, this is what the word of God says. Was he hungry still? Yeah. His stomach was probably doing the rumbly thing. But he said, I don't need food. The word of God says, I don't need it. I need God. I don't need food. I need his word. The answer to the second confrontation. Jesus answered in verse 7 and said to him again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What does that mean? The opposite of testing God is trusting God. Test of God is to like test God. Like I'm going to make God do what I want him to do. Watch, he's got to catch me. I'm going to jump off a cliff. The Bible says you shall not test the Lord your God. You shall trust the Lord your God. God, I'm hungry. God, I'm sick. God, I don't feel good. God, my life is falling apart. God, don't you care? And all the while, God is saying, yes, yes, trust me. And we think, Lord, if I trust you, you'll make it all go away, right? No. No. If you trust me, you'll be ready to be proven 
you'll come out the other side. Scars intact. My favorite thing to see when I was in the Marine Corps was, you know, I, I, I got busted. So I never rose very high in the ranks. I, I couldn't stay out of trouble. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> but I always loved gunny. Every gunny I ever had. I never had a bad gunny in my life. Gunny was the guy who'd already been through it all. He's an old man. Well, we all saw him as old. He was probably, you know, 35. But <laughs> Gunny, Gunny was always the old man. But Gunny had all the scars. I don't want to see, when I'm going into battle, a pristine person standing there with no scars. I don't want to see shiny armor. I don't want to see, I want to see dingy, beat up, dented, scraped. I want a guy who's been through it all so I can stand next to him and say, I, help me. You know what to do. And that's what every gunny was in the Marine Corps. So no matter how bad things got, everybody looked to gunny. You guys have seen it in the movies. Sometimes it's top, you know, which is a beyond gunny. And you'd look around, and you guys remember, what's that movie with uh, when they were young? You guys remember that movie? Nobody ever saw it? Good, don't see it again. There's a top, there's a guy, he's top, he's, a, he's the highest rank, uh, master guns in the, in the military. And everybody's shooting and jumping behind trees, and top's just standing there yelling at people. Go here, go here, go there. And everybody's like, dang, look at top, he's not scared at all. He'd been there before. So the battle doesn't freak him out. Is he perfect? Does he limp? No, yeah, he limps. Did he ever get shot? For sure. Yeah. But he understood because he'd been through it all. So he was okay with it. So sometimes when we go through the things God allows into our life, we'll have scars that will remain. But you will learn to trust God so that the next time you're, it's going to be easier. Remember the story of the disciples? They were freaked out the first storm they ever had on the boat. And they're running around and they go get Jesus. And they say, Jesus, you don't even care that I'm dying. You remember? And Jesus digging the sleep out of his eyes and he's looking at him like, what are you guys talking about? Oh, yeah, we're in a storm. What did he do? Peace be still. What happened? Storm stopped. The next time you see the disciples in a storm, they're in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is on a high mountain watching them. The storm hits again. You know what the disciples are doing? Rowing. How long? All night. All night. Because they learned Jesus can say, peace be still anytime. So, what were they showing by rowing? I trust you. Trust you, Lord. And what happened in the middle of the storm? Jesus comes walking up to him on the water. He comes walking up. And they look at him and he go, and Peter shouts out, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Why? Because he trusted him. So what did Jesus say? Come. So Peter jumps out the boat and he's walking on the waves until what happens? He sees the storm again. That's the first time he saw the storm again. So he sinks. What did Jesus do? He gave, did the storm, he's going to pick him up out of the waves. He's going to put him on the boat. They immediately arrive at the shore and the storm stops. This is how the Lord proves us. Not by giving us smooth seas but by getting us through stormy ones. And every time we're a little more able. I remember when I was young, I used to say, oh Lord, it's going to stop. As soon as I get through this thing, there won't be no more things. So I'm almost 60 now. I'm going to tell you, there will always be more things. It never stops. But the answer is still the same. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Trust him. Trust the Lord your God. What's the third answer? Jesus said to him the third time, verse 10, 
Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He refuses the enticement of worshiping strange fire in a strange way to get something good out of it. What does he do? He says, look, you shall worship the Lord your God only, and him shall you fear. No worship but that which comes to God. What does the scripture tell us? Scripture tells us in Luke 4.13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he left for an opportune time. Was there ever another dark time in the life of Jesus? Just because this is the only time we're told the devil came to him, don't you think he didn't come again? I'll tell you two places. Jesus wrestled with Satan. He wrestled with Satan at the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane. And he wrestled with him on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus spoke from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's verse 1 of Psalm 22. Jesus is saying from the cross to his disciples, go read Psalm 22. Why? Because Psalm 22 will tell you about the spiritual battle that's taking place on the cross. He uses a demonic term, uh, the bowls of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths, they gape at me. He's describing the demons around the cross laughing at him. Yeah. The devil, he don't wait till you're at the top of the mountain. He catches you in the wilderness. Times of despair. Times of hopelessness. But what does, what does Matthew tell us happened? Matthew 4, 11. And the devil left him, and what happened? Listen, did God take care of his needs? Yeah. The angels came and ministered to him. You know what it says in the book of Hebrews? Be careful to entertain strangers, for in so doing, some have entertained angels. How? Unaware. They're not always running around with wings. I'm going to tell you right now, through your dark times, your despairing times, the places where you find hope, one day you are going to go to heaven and meet the angels who are ministering to you that maybe you noticed and maybe you didn't. But I want you to know, when Jesus was hungry, God fed him. When Jesus was weak, God strengthened him. When Jesus needed the Father was with him. So the test wasn't stress because he was prepared for the test because he always communed with the Father. You want to pass your test? Learn the answer. You've got to commune with the Father. The Bible tells there was a prophet. His name was Elijah. He got despairing one time. Man, he, he had this incredible victory and he still had this crazy woman in his life. Her name was Jezebel. There are crazy women. Sorry, ladies. So Jezebel, she drove him to say, that's it, I'm done. He turned around and ran as fast as he could the opposite direction. He ran until he had no strength and he fell down in a heap in the middle of the wilderness 1 Kings 19 verse 5 says he laid down and slept under a broom tree behold an angel touched him and said arise and eat and he looked and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water why did an angel need to use hot stones I don't know but he did baked him a cake he ate it drank it, laid down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights on one cake. 
He went 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God, to a cave. So he could crawl into a dark cave and say, I quit. I'm done. No more. That's it. This nothing ever works out. We never st- the fight never stops. And then the Lord came to him there and said, Hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? I have been faithful. That's past tense. I have been your only servant. I'm the only one doing the things we're supposed to do, God. It's just me. There's nothing around me but a bunch of losers, God. I'm all by myself. The Lord says, no, you're not. There's more. Then the Lord says to him, what are you doing here? Nothing ever changes, God. The hearts, you need to do more miracles. So the Lord said a mighty fire and a tornado and he shook the earth and the mountains shook and showed all this power. But the scripture says God was not in it. And then the Lord said in a still small voice, Elijah, what are you doing here? God, you really frustrate me. You won't do it my way. He's not going to change. He's God. I'm not. You're not. Trust is what he wants. Trust him. He will carry you through. He said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Okay, Lord. What do you want me to do? God had him do the last three anointings of his ministry. He anointed Elisha, who would take over. The sword of Jehu, which would be God's judgment. The Lord's purposes were still carried out. Did God give him the strength he needed when he despaired? Yep. Did God have patience with him? Was God mad? I would have yelled. God didn't yell. He used a still small voice. Patiently waiting. Elijah, what are you doing here? That's God's word for us today. What are you doing here? I give you a job to do. I know Russia's doing their thing. I know COVID is a pain in the butt. I know the world is upside down sideways and politicians have no idea what they're doing. That's not new either. I know all these things. All these things are true. What are you doing here? Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation and teach them what I taught you. And realize this, know this, I am with you even to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we just, uh, we thank you, God, for who you are. I thank you for what you do, God. I thank you for your times of deliverance, God. I thank you for your times of strengthening. I thank you that you will never leave me. I thank you that you don't give up. I thank you for all the things that you do. Thank you, God, when, when you make me learn to go another mile, another 10 miles, another 100 miles. I thank you when you give me the strength to succeed, even when I have no idea where the strength comes from. I pray, God, today in these days where we're afraid and we're concerned and we want to know what's going on in the world and what's things going to be like tomorrow. And sometimes you'll tell us, but sometimes you won't. But what you do say is, in times of testing, trust me. But God, what will I do if trust me? 
But God, does this mean that? Trust me. So God, I pray for each of us here this morning that we would trust you. I know maybe maybe there's nothing to worry about. Maybe there's a lot of things to worry about. But my God is the God of the mountain and he's the God of the valley. He's the God of the plain. He's the God of space. He's the God of time. He's God everywhere and at all times. He is never not God. He is always there, always able, always willing, always walking with me and he will deliver me. But he has also decreed that I will have some scars when it's all said and done. Those scars tell a story of God's deliverance and strength in my life. So God, I even thank you for them. I thank you for the times I failed the test and you taught me about trusting you. And I thank you, Lord, for the times I had victory and you taught me to keep trusting you. I thank you for the lessons that your word declares to me. Thank you that we have this opportunity still to encourage one another. And I pray as men and women who follow Christ, we would look for opportunities to give an encouraging word to a brother or a sister because we have no idea what's happening in other people's lives. God, I pray that you would help us be aware take heed so that we not fall but stand in the power of the Lord in the might of his spirit you give us what we need when we need it so we trust you and I pray Lord that we would take a message of hope to a world that says what on earth is going on My king is coming. And when he comes, my eyes will be lifted up to heaven for I know where my help comes from. God, be glorified in this place. Be magnified here as we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.